Hey everybody, this is Pastor David with We Are Church. I just want to thank you for taking the time to tune into this podcast. Here at We Are Church, our mission is to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. One of the ways we do that is through the reading and the teaching of the Word of God. So I just pray that this message would challenge you to take your faith to the next level and you would find freedom in every area that you need. God bless you and enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Real quick, man, before we sit down, Isaiah 43.1 says, but, not, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west. I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Then he says, bring out the people who have eyes but are blind and who have ears but are deaf. Gather the nations together, assemble the peoples of the world, which, are, which, of their idol, which of their idols has ever foretold such things, which can predict what will happen tomorrow. Where are the witnesses of such predictions? Then he goes on to say, there is no other God. There never has been and there never will be. Yes, I, yes, am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. First I predicted your rescue. Then I saved you and proclaimed it to the world. And he says, man, If we go all the way down to verse 15, he says, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the seas. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. He said, but forget all of that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do for I'm about to do something new. Anybody ready for God to do something new in your life? He said, man, I've already begun, but you do not see it. He said, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers in the dry wastelands. And so, man, I'm here to tell you today that maybe you're coming out of this place where you've just been in this place of dryness. You ain't seen anything that anything exciting in your life. You've just been walking around and you've just been empty. It's been dry. It's been a wasteland. And God said, man, I'm about to make a way in the wilderness like nothing before. He said, man, you might have heard what I've done in the past, but I'm going to do something new. And then I'm going to raise up a people who will, who will be sold out for my kingdom. And I'm I'm going to do something different. And so today I declare that this is your day. Today is a day of freedom for those who want it in this room. Let's lift our hands to heaven. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for each and every person who came into this room today, God. And we didn't just come here to check something off of our list. It's not what we're here for. Maybe we did. Maybe some of us did come in here just to check something off of our list, just to get this out of the way, God. But I pray that today will be a day where you rock our worlds. 
God, everything I say up here, whatever I preach, if, if, it, if it isn't about you, God, if you're not in it, if your anointing isn't on it then, it, then it's all in vain. So God, I decrease so that you can increase in, in here. God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see what you want to show us and what you want to say to us in this place, God. I thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God, y'all. <laughs> but man, um, I'm super excited about jumping into this sermon, man. If you don't know, if you, if you weren't here last week, last week we jumped into a brand new series titled Momentum. And we talked about how we start to, how we jump into what God has for us in, in our lives and how we go from a place of just stagnant complacency into this place where we're actually gaining traction in our walk with God, right? We're gaining traction in our relationships with other people. We're gaining tractions in, in, in our devotional time and, and just different things. Like how do we get that vibrant life that's full of vitality? Like how, because I feel like a lot of us that, that we had that at first, right? That we come into this walk with God, we start to grow, we fall in love with him, we, we pray, we fast, we, we read our Bibles, and it's just like it's just everything, we just skyrocketed in our relationship with him, right? But then somehow, sometimes we can come to a place where we believe that, that we've arrived, that we just somehow became mature Christians, and then we just, we just stay on this plateau. But ha, how many of you know that that's never God's plan for us, right? That he wants us to continue to grow. He wants us to continue to, to, um, to, to grow in, in, in our relationship with him and in our relationship with other people and just... We're never supposed to stop. We're never supposed to stop growing. And so, man, I, I really started praying, God, like, what is some things that we can do to really gain some momentum in our lives and in our walks with you? And, and so the Lord kind of took us through this, took me through this different process and started really preparing this, this series a couple weeks ago. And last week we jumped into it and we talked about that, that, that if, in order for us to walk into what God has for us, we have to be willing to exchange the old. For the new. And we can't walk into something new with the old. We can't enter into a new relationship if we're still in an old relationship, right? I couldn't enter into a marriage with my wife if I was still married to somebody else. Amen? Amen. And so it's the same thing with God, that we got to be willing to exchange the grave clothes for the robes of righteousness. That if we want freedom in our lives, we got to be willing to surrender whatever God is calling us to surrender. And so we talked about last week three things. The invitation to come to Jesus. That there's this invitation for each and every one of us to come to him. And that we find, we find rest when we come to Jesus. We find direction when we come to Jesus and we find protection. Second, we talked about the invitation to follow Jesus. That not only does Jesus say, come to me and I will give you rest and I will give you direction and I will protect you and I will give you everything that you need. But he also says, but hey, follow me and I'm going to take you down a path and it's going to be the, the greatest life that you ever lived. That it's going to be better than you could ever think or you could ever imagine. But it, I'm also going to take you down a, a narrow path that's going to be difficult for you to walk. And few people actually take the, make the decision to follow me down that path and, and, and he gives us this invitation to follow him. And that many of us stop at that right there. That we stop at salvation and we think, man, if I just, I, I just want to accept him as, as my savior, but I don't want to accept him as my Lord. And we stop at following him because, because we're scared of what that might cost us, right? And that we're walking into unfamiliar territory that we don't know anything about following God. That it's not natural for us to do the things that please God or to follow him wherever he would lead us. And that is something that is so unfamiliar to us. And so instead of even trying, we just decide to stop right there. Not even going to go any further in this walk. And that some of us, we started off following Jesus. That we were so close to him. 
so close to this word, but then we started to, to cherish other things and put them before him. So we started to follow him at a distance because we don't, we don't want him to ask us for that thing that we have placed before him. Then we see the invitation to make a difference. That Jesus said, you come, come in and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that there's an invitation for each and every one of us to make a difference. He said, I'll use your, I'll use your pain. I'll use, your, I'll, I'll use your, your difficulties. I'll use your mistakes. I'll use everything that you've ever done in your life and everything that was ever done to you. And somehow I will, I will change you and I will transform you. And I will use all of that for my glory and use it to reach into somebody else's life and show them that the gospel is capable of changing and transforming anybody. But see, I, I, I didn't want to just stop there. So I really started thinking about that. Like, so, so, so first we have this, this invitation to walk with Jesus and exchange the old for the new. But secondly, if we're going to continue in, 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 in momentum and gaining momentum and gaining traction, that, that we have to be willing to embrace opposition. So today's sermon title is to embrace opposition. Because there comes a time in our walk where, 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 where momentum meets opposition, Right? And if we're not careful, we'll be asking ourselves these, these questions saying, God, what, what is wrong with me? Why is everything going wrong in my life? How come there is so much opposition up against me? And we'll think that it's because of something that, that we are doing wrong. And we'll think that God is mad at us. And we won't be able to figure out what it is that we're doing wrong. And we'll just walk around wondering, but maybe it's not what you're doing wrong, but it might just be what you're doing right. So today I want to talk about that. What we do when opposition comes, the question isn't whether it will come, but what will we do when it does come? So I'm going to hit on three points today. The first is opposition is inevitable. Opposition is inevitable. That no matter what, opposition will always come. It's not something that, that might come, but it's something that will come. And we see in, in, in the Gospel of John chapter, chapters 15 and 16, Jesus spends all of this time talking to his disciples about the things that they will go, that, that they're about to go through talks about him being handed over and him being crucified and how, how they were going to be hated by the world and they were going to go through all of these different things. And he spent so much time laying the cross before them and explaining, them, explaining to them what following him would cost them. If we look over in the Gospel of John, chapters 16, verses 31 through 33, it says, Jesus asked, do you finally believe? But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when you will be scattered each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrow. But take heart because I have overcome the world. We look at just these first few verses. I mean, the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when you'll be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. He said, but I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all of this so that you will have peace in me. So what is Jesus saying? He said, man, I'm telling you all of these things ahead of time, that following me will cost you something, that in this world you will have trials and tribulations. I'm telling you that the storms of life are going to come. I'm telling you that you have an enemy and an adversary and that opposition is going to come and it's going to try to knock you back and it's going to make you want to run and you're going to scatter and you're going to leave me. He said, I'm telling you this ahead of time so that you can have peace in me. So he's saying we need to anticipate the trials of life and anticipate opposition. That it shouldn't catch us off guard when people walk out of our lives. It shouldn't catch us off guard when people mock us for following Jesus or when things don't go right in our lives. 
These things shouldn't be unexpected. They should be expected as followers. And I think we got way too many people that are are willing to tell you about the grace of God and willing to tell you about the goodness of God, but they're not willing to tell you that, hey, following Jesus is the hardest, but most, uh, the hardest, hardest, but best thing that you will ever do in your whole entire life. That it takes backbone to be a man or a woman of God. That it's easy to go back to the world. It's easy. It's easy for me to get locked up. It's easy for me to go out and be a sellout to this world. But it's hard to be a a, a loving husband and to be a father and to get up and go to work and to pay my bills on time and to work with my hands and and to do the right thing. That's never easy for us. So it shouldn't be something that catches us off guard when things don't go right, when we give our life to Jesus. We need to understand that when we experience God in these rooms, it's to go out there and wage war against the enemy. And we're still stuck playing defense when we need to be playing offense. The trials will come, but he has given you an authority that nobody else has. He's saying, man, expect the trials of life, but ground yourself in me so that you will find peace in me. And he says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He said, take heart. In other words, he's saying, take courage, grab on to courage. How do we find that? Because he said, because I have overcome the world. We find courage in what he already did. That he demonstrated his love for us. That not only did he call us and say that we will go through the trials of life, but he also not when did he lay the he didn't only lay the cross before them, but he also said, I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be whipped and I'm going to be hung on a cross to die for the forgiveness of your sins. And he said, but I'm going to resurrect on the third day. He said, I'm going to overcome the world for you. Like, can you imagine that? That as he's telling these, this to these disciples, they have no idea. Like, like, they're hearing this, but they don't really understand the fullness of what is really about to happen until Jesus is arrested and handed over. And then he's, he, he's, he's beaten and he's whipped and he's hung on a cross and they scatter just like he told them that they would. Then he dies. And he's buried in a tomb and they're hopeless even though he said that I'm going to overcome the world, they're, they're hopeless. But then on the, on the third day, Jesus rises in victory. They will literally get to witness him overcoming the world. That's why they were willing to embrace opposition. That's why they were willing to endure everything that happened to them because they understood that Jesus overcame the world because he knew that you couldn't. So I want us to understand that that something happens when opposition comes, that it's it's opportunity for us. That if we won't run from it, but we'll grab onto it and we'll we'll face it, that we won't just, just, just tuck tail and run every time the enemy comes at us, we will find something that we've never found before. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, God had one son without sin but he never had a son without trial. He had one son without sin, but he never had a son without trial. Jesus doesn't expect us to go through anything that he wasn't willing to go through himself.
Jesus not only tells us to anticipate opposition, but he tells us to prepare for opposition. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27 says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. <clears throat> Excuse me. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Hear what he's saying? He said, man, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds his house on a rock. He said, man, the rains, though the rains come in torrents, not, not if the rains come, when the rains come and the floodwaters rise and they beat against that house, the man who has applied the truth to his life will still be standing. He's saying, man, we, we got to be doers of the word. We got to apply the word to our lives. That, that if we come in here and we hear the word of God, or even if we can speak the word of God, but we don't apply the word of God to our lives, that it's, it's pointless like a man who builds his house on the sand. Many of us in this room and on the screen have built our houses on sand because we refuse to apply the word to our lives. One more storm and we'll collapse. One more person walking out of our lives and we'll just throw it all away because we won't apply the word to our lives. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 24 says, Understand this, my brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted, planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. You're not fooling anyone else but yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. We have opportunities now to apply the word to our lives. When somebody betrays me, I have an opportunity to forgive them. Right? That we have opportunities all around us to do the opposite of what our flesh wants to do. That we apply the word of God. That we pray for our enemies. That we bless those who persecute us. That we do the opposite of what, what our flesh wants to do. And that's an opportunity to apply the word of God to our lives so that we can grow strong. Build our house on a rock. God doesn't care how many scriptures we know. There's plenty of people who know scriptures that can quote the Bible from front to back, but their hearts ain't right because they don't actually apply the word to their lives. So it's time that, that, that we start applying that so we can actually be ready when the storms of life come. Second, <clears throat> opposition is opportunity. I want to talk about three things, three opportunities that we find in opposition. First, opposition is opportunity for growth. Opposition is opportunity for growth. One of my points, opposition is inevitable. Growth is optional. <laughs> opposition is inevitable. The storms of life will come. Now, whether we choose to grow or not, that's on us. 
James 1, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to what? Grow. So let it grow for when your faith, when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. He's saying that without opposition, it's impossible to grow. That we can't build faith unless we are tested and we are tried. Given an opportunity to exercise our faith in the midst of the storm and in the midst of opposition, that's how our faith grows. We don't actually have an opportunity to see if we're really w willing to demonstrate true love until somebody or somebody that, that, that does us wrong comes around us actually to demonstrate the real love that God talks about, that love is patient, that it is kind, that it keeps no record of being wrong, that it, that it endures all things, right? That it hopes all things, that it, that, it doesn't, that it doesn't rejoice in injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out, that we have an opportunity to demonstrate true love when people who don't show us the love that we deserve, come around us. It's when I really knew that I was truly ready for change is when I, was, when I stopped asking God to change my circumstances. I remember the worst storms of my life came when I truly surrendered to God. But I knew when I knew it was different, I stopped asking God to get me out of trouble. I stopped asking God to take the pain away. I stopped asking God to change my circumstances and started asking God to change me through my circumstances. That when I read scriptures like that and I seen that it had, a, had an opportunity to, 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 to build endurance, right? That my endurance has a chance to, to grow, to let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. started to find something different in my life when I was willing to face the storms of life, run to my source. One of my points, the greatest opposition you will ever face is the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror. That you are your greatest enemy. I mean, think about that. I blamed everybody for my problems. I blamed everybody for the dysfunction in my life that I was, that I was stuck in. I blame my parents for me being for, for me becoming a bad parent. I, ba I blame my parents' addiction for my addiction, only to do the same thing and end up worse than them. But can I tell you that nobody caused more harm and more pain in my life than I did to myself? Nobody. Until I was ready to, 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 to actually face, that, face myself and say, I'm messed up. That I got to do something different. That I was my, my, my biggest enemy, that this, this self-centered person that lived inside of me, that that, that that was the person that actually came to destroy me the most, worse than anybody else that ever hurt me. Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 24 says, I have discovered this. This is Paul talking. He said, I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is a power within me that is, at, that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave 
to sin. Paul's saying, man, look, I, I discovered this principle of life. I love, I love the ESV translation. He, said, he says that when I want to do, do what is right, evil lies close at hand. Right? He said there's, there's, this, there's this war that I'm at every single day with myself, with my sin nature and with this flesh inside of me that I'm constantly having to wage war with myself. So, man, who can save me and free me from this life that is dominated by sin? He said, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. Our Lord. But you know how you know that you're, that you're truly saved and you're truly, set, you're truly set on following Jesus? When you're actually willing to wage war with your sin. When there is a wrestle inside of you, a, a wrestle inside of you that says, this isn't right, that I can't keep doing this. When you're actually fighting, trying to actually overpower this sinful nature inside of you, it shows in itself that you're saved. Because it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that's saying this grieves the Spirit of God and I cannot keep doing this. We need to wake up realizing that every day we're at war with ourselves. And ask ourselves, what part of me needs to die today? What part of us needs to die today in this room? I believe God is calling us to higher levels and we, we might not understand why the storms of life come and why we are constantly facing opposition. But if we will allow God to work in the midst of that, God will kill some of the things inside of us that have been holding us back for a very, very long time. Because most of us, when the storms of life came, if you're anything like I was, I would self-destruct. This didn't go right today. I'm going to just blow it all up. God is saying, man, no, it's, it's, it's time to stop that. It's time to stop. I'm giving you opportunities to apply the truth to your life. Second, opposition is opportunity to fight the giants that you ran from last time. And we're realizing, I remember see, having the opportunities, the same things that caused me to go back and to go back and to go back to the world. Same things happen, but I just seen them differently. Instead of letting those things send me back, I've seen an opportunity to conquer the same thing that devoured me last time. Some of us have lost relationships in this room. People have cheated on us and walked out of our lives, and we're, we, we have an opportunity to either let that drive us back to the world or back to a bottle or back to whatever that it was that, 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 we, were, that we were on, that we have an opportunity now to say, no, this time I'm not giving up. Not going back to that. I cannot let this devour me again. It's an opportunity. Have you ever walked away from, from a fight or an argument and like you just had like in your mind all of these different things you wish you would have said or you wish you would have did, right? Like, man, I should have smacked him in his face, right? <laughs> I wish I would have said this, this, and that. Like, in, and in your mind, or you might even tell somebody the story, you had a whole bunch of great stuff that you never said. They're like, man, really? Did you say that? No, but I should have said that, right? Like, 
that's kind of how it is with us in our faith. Like it's, it's all, we're always looking back saying, man, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have handled this differently. I wish I wouldn't have walked away. This, this, at this point in my life, I would have been saved for three, four years. I would have been on fire. For, I would have had my ministry. I would have had this job. I would have I never lost this person. I would have never lost that person, right? And that's how we are in our faith that we're looking back on these things. And God is saying, man, it's okay that I will redeem all of those years. I'll give you opportunities to overcome those things. And you will still be exactly where I needed you to be. And we see in the, in the book of Numbers, we see, we see Moses. He sends 12 spies into the promised land, right, to, to go and spy out the promised land. Tells them to bring back a report of what they see. And, and, all, and all of them come back, and 10 out of the 12 came back, and they, they, they said, Man, we, we look like grasshoppers compared to the people there. And they were scared and they were terrified and they said, man, man, we'll get devoured. Like we cannot even come, we can't come into this land that we look like grasshoppers to these people. They had already forgotten what God had already done for them. Already. They forgot that it was land that God was giving them. There was two people though, Joshua and Caleb, who tried to convince the people, man, are y'all crazy? Like, haven't you seen what God has already done for us? That God will, he will give us this land. That the same God that delivered us from the hands of Pharaoh will, de will deliver us from these people. That they will, that God will give us this land. That this is the land that God has given us. That with God, all things are possible. That we can enter into the promises of God. And they had such boldness and they wanted to go, but the people were stubborn and they didn't want to go. As a result of their lack of faith, they didn't get to enter into the promised land. And God said, before this, your whole generation will pass and you will not enter into the promised land because of your lack of faith. He looked at Caleb and he looked at Joshua. He said, but those two, you two, you will enter into the promised land. So eventually Moses ends up passing the torch to Joshua. God said, I want Joshua to lead my people into the promised land. And one by one, they entered into the promised land and they started conquering conquering and conquering and conquering all of these giants that people have been running from for years and they started entering into the territories that God had promised them. But what's really beautiful is what we see Caleb say in Joshua chapter 14, verses 7 through 12. Caleb says, I was 40 years old when Moses, he's talking to, talking to Joshua, he says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went, who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord, followed the Lord my God, so that, so that day Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well and has promised as he has promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Watch what he says. He said, today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. He said, you will remember and some translations. So, so give me the mountain that the Lord has promised me. So you will remember that as scouts, we found that the descendants of Anak lived there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land 
just as the Lord said. We see 45 years later, Caleb standing, 85-year-old man saying, give me the mountain. Give me the mountain that the Lord promised me. Them same giants that made everybody run, he said, I don't care that if the Lord goes with me, I will devour them, that I will still fight today the same way that I was willing to fight 45 years ago, 40 years ago. And I wonder where the Joshua's and the Caleb's are at today. The ones who are willing to say, don't, God, forget asking you to move the mountain, God, but give me the mountain. Where are the Joshua's and Caleb's who are going to be willing to raise, to, to rise up in a time of trouble and say, man, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because God is looking for an army of people who are willing to wage war and go to war for him and go out into the darkness and snatch people out of the pits or, or, or people who ain't just wanting to come in here and be consumers in the kingdom of God and sit in these seats and not walk out of them doors and do anything different. God is looking for a people who are willing to enter into his promises and pull people into the promised land with them. See, Caleb's faithfulness in the wilderness prepared him for the mountain. Some of us are in the wilderness right now. You don't know what else to do. And all, all, you, all you can do is be faithful. That you be faithful where you are right now. That God will exalt you. He will raise you up. He will pull you into the place that he wants you. There's a quote by Ray Stedman that says, it's a weak faith that only serves God in times of blessing. The book of Job teaches us that true faith, genuine faith, great faith is revealed only when we serve and trust God in the hard times, the times of suffering, loss, and opposition. That's the kind of faith that makes the world sit up and take notice. That when people look at us and they say, man, I don't understand. I don't understand how they can suffer that type of loss but still have joy. I don't understand how them people could have walked out of, out of his life, but somehow he's still so loving and so trusting and so caring. I don't, I don't understand that, that right now as everything else is falling apart, this person is, he's grounded and he's still walking with God and he's not compromising. I don't understand how this man is willing to endure these type of things and somehow he still has the peace of God in his life. That that's the type of faith that a man that makes people sit up and take notice and say, man, God's got to be real. And third, opposition is opportunity to rely on God. It's opportunity to rely on God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, Paul writes, This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. 
but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want to give anyone, I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. Watch this. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. So, man, so, so, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given some, some, some opposition. I was given something that was, it was against the grain, right? I said a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. I begged him, God, take this away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. Or my grace is sufficient for you. So my power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecution, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So man, I was to keep me from becoming proud. He said, man, to, to remind me that I ain't the one who got me here in the first place, that I didn't save me, that I was given this thorn in the flesh, that I was, that I was given this thorn in the flesh, that it, it, was, it was gifted to me, that it looked like a curse, but it was actually a gift that kept, kept me from becoming proud and forgetting where I came from, that sometimes God will allow the storms of life and the opposition to come in to keep us. It's a gift. It might look like a curse, but it's actually a gift because it makes you rely on God. It makes you remember that you can't do it in your own strength and that if you want, give it back to God that you'll end up back in the same place. And God said, so to keep you from falling, I'm going to give you some opposition. That people are going to walk out of your life to make room for the people that actually will stay in your life. That it looks like a curse, but it's actually a gift. So when the first woman walked out of my life, she made room. It looked like a curse. It looked like it wasn't working out, but God made room for the wife that was actually going to lead me closer to God and, and, and back my ministry and, and, and be the, the wife and the mother that I needed for my children. It looked like a curse. But I wouldn't have my wife and I wouldn't have my daughter Abby and I wouldn't have the family and I wouldn't have my sons that I have now. I wouldn't be where I'm at today. It looked like a curse, but it was actually a gift. Some of us are still trying to cling on to something and God is saying, let go of it because if you let go of it, you'll have your hands open. I can actually bless you with what I want to put in your life today. He said, I beg the Lord, take it away. God, take it away. I can't, I can't do. Some of us, are, we're just holding on to it. God, take this pain away from me. And God is saying, my grace is all you need. And my grace is sufficient for you. You can do this. You don't want to climb the mountain. You want me to take the mountain away. But my grace is all you need. My strength is all you need. That my peace is all you need. That you can find it in me. So my power works best in weakness. That is when we know that we're weak and that we're fragile and that, and, and that we're frail and that we can't walk in this life without God. And that's when my power works best. When you think you're strong, 
You think you got it all together. You think that, 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 that you can do it all on your own, that when you start to rely on your own finances and your own strength and your own wisdom and your own intellect, that that's when you're, when you're going to fall. So God said, man, instead, so, 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 so to, not, to not cause you to fall, I'm going to give you a thorn in your flesh. It's going to look like a curse. It's going to hurt. Some of us are in that right now. We don't understand. Paul says, I boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So we, we, we boast about where we, where we struggle. That we're, we're weak in these areas because we need God, right? So that the power of Christ can work through us. He said, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It makes sense now. I understand how they were willing to go to the cross. I understand how they were willing to be dra dragged through the streets and how they were willing to be stoned to death. I understand it now. The power of Christ is found in the struggle. So I want to ask you today, how many of us in this room today, so man, I'm tired of running, I'm tired of backing down from the enemy. I'm tired of relying on my own strength. I'm all out. God said, when you come to the end of yourself, you'll actually find me. How many of you in this room have actually came to the end of yourself today? And God is saying, look, man, I know it looks like, it, it looks like a curse, but it's actually a gift to, to, to keep you from becoming proud. You've came to the end of yourself. If that's you today and you say, man, today I am tired of running. I realize that I cannot do this on my own, that I'm going to use this opportunity. Life has been hitting me, but I'm going to come back to God and I'm going to give it to him. And I'm going to allow his power and his strength and his peace and his purpose to reign and rule over my life. If that's you today, I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward. And just line up right here in the front. Amen. Yeah, y'all praise God, man. Right here in the front. Amen. Praise God. Uh-oh, they're still coming. If you feel that, that, that pull, talked about how, how that invitation that he's, that he's calling us, right, that when he calls us, and when we feel that inside of us, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. He's pulling us. He's drawing us. And don't, don't ever, don't ever feel that call and not be obedient to that. Sometimes we don't come to the altar because we're broken, but we come to the altar because we need to break. So when you feel that, you just, you just come. You just come forward. Amen. Praise God. We ain't going to do nothing crazy. <laughs> we ain't going to do nothing crazy, man. I just... I just it's just, we're just being obedient to what God is doing in our lives. We're just, we're here because we're saying, God, we're coming to the altar because we used to, we used to run to sex. We used to run to drugs. We used to run to alcohol. We used to run to the world. We used to run to, to self-inflicted wounds. And we used to run to depression and anxiety and, and suicide. And we, we, we've let it destroy us before. But today we take our stand and we say, we're not, no longer running to that. God, your grace is all I need. So we come here to the altars because we need his grace. And we realize that we are weak. His power works best in weakness. Let's lift our hands. Father God, I just thank you, Father, for each and every person who has came down here to the altar. God, it's been a, 
chaotic week for myself that as I prepare to preach this sermon about opposition, I probably face more opposition this week than I have in the past two years. But God, I realize that my strength, that my power, that my intellect will never get me anywhere, God. And so today, every person here at the altar today, God, we just ask God for your, for your power, for your anointing, for your strength, for your peace to fall on them, God. You said your grace is sufficient for everything that we need, that your grace is all we need. So God, we don't ask you to move the mountain today. We don't ask you to change our circumstances, God, but we ask for you to give us the strength, God, to endure, to not run from opposition, but to embrace it. We make opposition our friend today. We won't run from it. God, for every person in here, God, I pray, Father, for healing over every broken area of their lives. Say, God, today we don't want to be bitter. We want to get better. We want to get better. So, God, we pray for our enemies today. We ask that you bless every single person who's ever persecuted us or hurt us in any kind of way. God, we choose to forgive them. Even if we don't feel it, we choose it. Forgiveness is a choice, so we choose to forgive them today. We won't walk out of them doors with the same bitterness. But God, I thank you for your anointing. I thank you that you chose us when this world said that we were garbage and would never amount to anything. You said they are precious. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. They are my prized possession. They're the apple of my eye that you love us, God, that you loved us so much that you were willing to die on a cross, that you were willing to be beaten and, and be whipped and be mocked and be spit on, that you took this place, that you, that even though you knew no sin, you became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. You make a way in the wilderness, God, and we thank you for that. God, we love you, we thank you, we honor you. I bless every person in front of me in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Praise God, y'all. Praise God. Amen. If you're on the screen right now, you didn't have to be up here at the altar. I hope that you made your living room an altar, your couch an altar. And I just, just grateful, man. I'm so grateful that God is doing something different right now. And I believe there's people that are, they realize that, that, that we need God, that God wants to do something different. We can't remain in a building. And so I just, just pray that as you go into the rest of your week, that God will just rock your world. Amen. That he'd give you eyes to see people for the brokenness and see them for the broken people that they are, that you won't, be able to, you, won't, you won't be able to walk past somebody and not see their hurt and see their pain, that you'll break with them. That'll give you the boldness to step into what he's called you to do, to pray hands, to lay hands on the sick, to call people back to him. There's storming outside. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, bro. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Y'all can praise God. <clears throat> so real quick, before we actually end the service, y'all know we do something different. We always take up offering at the end of the service. And so real quick, I got one scripture that I want to read before I do that. We got three ways to give. We have text to give, the number 615-257-9633. Text to give, 257-9633. Look at Jesse, man. Y'all give it up for Jesse out there, man. On the visual part, man, he's been on point on the screen, right? 
We got online, weareministries.com, and then we have Cash App. That's not on the screen, but anyways, the, the, the cash tag is money symbol. Um, money symbol, we are church with a capital W, and then in-house, if you're in here, we have two offering buckets up here that at the end of the service, you can just come and drop off your offering in, in the bucket right there. But real quick, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. So Paul says, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord, right? And so, man, I think it's even possible to do things like give an, give an offering but not actually do it in the name of the Lord, right? And we just give it to give it, right? Right? That as some of us, he's saying, man, whatever you do, whether it's work, whether it's giving, whether, what he said, whether it's word or deed, right? That whatever you do or whatever you say, however, whatever it is that you do, do it in the name of the of the Lord. And so, man, I just want to challenge you today that if you're going to give an offering, if that's something that you want to give, if you're going to bring your tithe, you're going to bring your offering, don't just do it. But like do it because it's something that you want to do to, to please Jesus, that you want to do it for him, for what he's already done, right? Don't, don't do it for me. Amen. You know, don't do it so that you check a, something off in your box, but do it for what he's already done for you. Amen. 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 Praise God. Let's pray out real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, for each and everything that you've done. God, I pray that you bless each and every person under the sound of my voice. God, I thank you for every person, God, who's been faithful with their tithe and with their offering. God, I thank you for that, God. I thank you that you blessed them. I thank you that you rebuke the devourer in their lives, God. And I thank you for your hand that is on this whole church. And God, for the person struggling financially, we say it every week, God. I pray that you position them in such a way that they could give like never before. God, I thank you for the ministry opportunities that you have given us as a church. And I thank you for giving us the ability financially to meet those needs. So God, we just pray blessings and favor upon each and every person in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Praise God. I love y'all church. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's message from We Are Church. I trust that you are blessed and moved in a way that changes your life permanently and allows God to guide you towards your calling in Christ. If you want to make We Are Church your home church or feel moved to sow into We Are Church, we want to provide the means to do so. You can join or give online at weareministries.com, and you can also reach us on our social media platforms at We Are Church Nashville. God bless you. Have a great week.